Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to A Court of Fairies and Fangirls. Um, I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And this is a Sarah J. Mass fan podcast where we are obsessed with her books and can't stop thinking about it or talking about it. So we figured, why not record us thinking and talking about it? So we're going to break down chapters, go through each book separately, go into character analysis and any thoughts or kind of theories that we have about books, characters, plots, etc. And maybe play some fun games along the way. Exactly. So welcome and enjoy. So we're just gonna do this. Yeah, why not? Just dive in. We're just gonna dive in, and then we'll get much better at speaking and thinking out loud. That's how it happens. Because every podcast I listen to, it's funny when you go back and listen to like the very oh, first yeah. episodes. You're like, oh my gosh, this sounds so funny compared yep. to like the, yeah, way better ones. And that's I, okay. I agree. I'm totally cool with this. Okay. So chapter one of A Court of Thorn and Roses. Well, first, who who are we? Who are welcome. We? <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Welcome to what well, it was a court of fairies and fangirls. I think that was no, what I made it. A court of fairies and fangirls. Welcome. I'm Alex. I'm Sarah. I hope you can tell our voices apart. And we'll be your hosts for yes. this wonderful, wonderful journey. And we're here because we've read all of the Sarah J. Mass books and we cannot stop talking about them. So we thought you might want to listen to us talk. Yeah, it's just another excuse for us to talk to each other and make it seem like there's a purpose to it. Maybe there is, but at least we get to keep talking about these awesome books. So. So. Oh, and the idea behind this. Let's say real quick. Okay. Yes. This will be, if you've read this series before, these main episodes are going to be spoiler free. We're going to try to stick to what we're reading in the book, and we're going to read a few chapters each episode and break down and talk about those chapters. If you want to gush about spoilers, listen to those minisodes. And that's when we're going to talk about the things that we're just like, we absolutely cannot contain, even for those who have not yet fully read the series. Yes. And we will warn you at the beginning of every minisode that it is full of spoilers. Yes. As a reminder for all those people that don't listen. Yeah, for the person who like randomly jumps into it. But this, spoiler free. Yes. And if we accidentally spoil, we're sorry. But we're going to try. Um, so this week, chapters one through four yes. is what we wanted to talk about. And Sarah is notoriously bad at recapping. I am. So I'll let you recap, but then I'll go first for the thing I want to point out. Because yes. it's like the first two paragraphs. Okay. So. Should we recap chapter by So just recap chapter one first? Let's just recap chapter one. Okay. So... I put, I was really artsy with this. We get a picture of the lands, cold, desolate, alert to danger, and Farah reflects it well. We learn her family is poor, hungry, and that she's clearly their keeper. Farah finds a doe and a wolf and kills both to meet her family's needs. She thinks the wolf is Faye, but talks herself out of it, ultimately skinning the wolf for its coat. It's really what kind of happens in chapter one. Not a whole lot of dialogue, 
but a lot of internal monologue about the cold and hunger and all that good stuff. That is correct. So, what'd you notice? Okay, so literally the first two paragraphs that I started reading, I was like, is this The Hunger Games? Am I reading another version of The Hunger Games? (laughs) And then... Right away, it's like, paragraph three, there's Faye. And I was like, oh, no, not Hunger Games. Right. I was like, we are fantasy right now. Right. So, but then seriously, like, the whole first chapter, I was like, this is the Hunger Games, but is it going to be Hunger Games plus fairies? That, I haven't read the Hunger Games in so long, mm-hmm. but that is the opening chapter, is her hunting. I think it right? is. Or if it's not, it's like, in the first few chapters, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's cold, she's hungry, they're starving, it's like this you know, teenage girl taking care of her family Mm. because the rest of the family sucks and is lame. That's so so true. I felt like I was reading The Hunger Games and I was like, thankfully I've read this book already so I know how it turns out and it's not The Hunger Games. (laughs) But first time I read this, I was like, is this just another Hunger Games? Mm. But there's fairies, so I feel like it's automatically way more exciting. That's true. That's a really good point. fairies. Yeah. Um, Okay, major, let's see, what did I tab in this chapter? Um, okay, I thought it was so, like, sweet and sad when she talks about all, how all she wants is for her sisters to be married, for her to hang out with her dad, and paint all day. I was like, that's so simple and pure, and I'm like, you poor soul, you're, like, stuck in the woods, and, like, ugh, just gave me feels. It made me feel, like, sad for Feyre. It does. It makes me feel sad that it's, like, your biggest dream is to get rid of your family so that yes. you can just, like, take care of yourself. Like, how sad is that? That's so sad. It's super sad. Also, this relates to when they first mentioned fairies. Uh-huh. They talk about fairies eating humans. Oh, that's right. And I was like, do fairies eat humans? Is that the kind of fairies we're going to have in this book? Mm-hmm. And they don't, but... Right, because when you first think fairies, yes. you think of, like, Tinkerbell. Yes. You don't think of, like, monsters eating people. No, because basically, to me, that's cannibalism, even though I know they're not technically the same species. Right. And I was like, do we have, like, killer fairies on our hands that right. people? Right, and it's like, well, what what do they look like also? Like, is it, right. like, a thousand little Tinkerbells eating people? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I definitely, entering this world where there are fairies was, like, it, it was new for me. I've never read series where fae were like, the main creature. Like, yeah. I've read where vampires and werewolves. Like, I feel like I have that really well down in my brain of, like, what do they look like and what are their norms? But yeah. this, I was like, I have no idea what to expect from a fairy. So my thought when I think fairy, because there's really no movies or anything with fairies, right. I think Legolas. Oh! From Lord of the Rings. He's my only, like, I mean, he's reference. an elf, but that's... But, like, he's, he's got the pointy ears. He's yeah, like, when they similar. when she goes on to describe fairies, like, throughout this series, yeah. and, like, Throne of Glass, it totally gives you elf vibes, yes. like, from And Lord I was like, I know he's not technically a fairy, but, like, that's the only reference I could think of that was yeah. in a movie that I could, like, picture, like, beautiful, mm-hmm. lives forever, pointy ears. It would be, like, that plus, like, magic powers. Yeah. Because Legolas didn't really have, I mean, no. it was incredible with a he's bow. beautiful. And also, just beautiful. But... <laughs> Real quick, when in Lord of the Rings, I love the fight scene so much just because of Legolas. He's and the like, only person I like to watch. Right. He's like sliding down an elephant's trunk. Or <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, how are you so cool? And honestly, I get that vibe from most of the fairies in the book. That's I, a really great comparison. Yeah. But I was just thinking of Legolas eating people and I was like, that ruins everything. Oh. So, but I'm glad they don't eat people. 
so. Spoiler, but. Small spoiler. <laughs> Little baby spoiler. That, it doesn't change anything about the book or no. what you'll learn about the book. And you'll but learn like, way more very quickly. So. I think they have every right to be afraid yes. of the Fae at this point. Correct. I totally agree with If that. nothing else, they are these intense, magical creatures that no one understands. And yes. I think we learn late, like, throughout this book that the human perception of Fae mm-hmm. Very different than reality right. in a lot of ways. Well, I was gonna say they believe ash and iron yes. fairies, which is to be determined at this point. Right. I just want to point out because I feel like this is very relevant for later on. Um, let me find it. Okay, so after Farah has shot the arrow um, at the wolf, mm-hmm. it says, and if it was indeed a fairy's heart pounding under that fur, then good riddance. Good riddance. Mm-hmm. After all their kind is done to us, I wouldn't risk this one later creeping into our village to slaughter and maim and torment. Let him die here and now. I'd be glad to end him. Yeah. So it's intense to feel that way mm-hmm. about potentially it being a fairy. It could just be a poor little wolf. I know. But it's very important thought process yes well and then okay the last sentence of this chapter i had a sticky next to it it was but this was the forest and it was winter and i was like outside and in your heart Thera, like holy crap because you're right like she had that whole inner monologue at the end of just being like good riddance i hope he dies i don't care and i was like okay a little intense and literally the the sentence before i wish i had I had it in me to feel remorse for the dead thing. Exactly. So she's really hard in her heart. She's winter inside and out right now. Exactly. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> it's very. It's a very intense start to the book. You're like, what am I getting myself into? Agreed. That's all I've got on chapter one. So okay. I feel like there wasn't really much more. No, there wasn't a lot. Into. I have a lot more in the next few chapters, though. So chapter two yes. recap. Um, I. You can't see my book, but there's colorful stickies in it. And I have a sticky saying how the chapter made me feel, and just a warning, this one was cranky. And so that is, I think, how we should all feel about this chapter, where we meet Feyre's lovely family. So my recap is we meet Dad, who's lost everything, quiet, beaten down, and very much disrespected by his children. We have Nesta, who is angry, selfish, clever, and quite cruel. And also, she is the eldest sister. That's true. That's another thing to talk about, is the birth order. Nesta's the eldest, and then right after her is Elaine, who's a bit of an airhead, but kind. And then the youngest is Feyre, which it's just also, like, not to jump the gun, but, like, why is she the one taking care of the family? (laughs) I agree. Why is the youngest taking care of two older sisters and a dad? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I put all three are dependent on Feyre, but also don't really even pretend to support her, i.e. cut the wood. Um, Feyre's tired, too tired to hope. And then I put they eat well, but squabbles arise. (laughs) That is a good summary of chapter two. Yeah. So what, what do you see about like the relationships playing out in this chapter? Oof, they make me, as you said, cranky. <laughs> um, it's just astounding that people can be so different, even though they're all related. The, I think the dad, honestly, I dislike more than Nesta. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, yes, he lost his wife, which you learn in this chapter, that she died. Um, but... I don't know i feel like even if you lost your wife and lost your fortune and yes you're now crippled you should still be attempting to do something like he could chop the wood just because you have a bum leg you could still chop well the wood. He's, he tries to make sell those little wooden figurines yes yeah, but 
I mean, really, like, who's that helping? I feel like he could help his household right by doing that or I don't know or like emotionally help your household like say you're truly crippled and you can't do jack yes can you help the emotional well-being of your children like help your one daughter feel strong about the good work she's doing like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you can help in other ways yes there's many ways and he just sits there and feels sorry for himself which I get as a man if you lost everything, mm-hmm. lost your fortune, lost your... Typical man. A typical man. He's a total <laughs> typical man, which pisses me off, because yeah. if it was a woman who lost everything, she'd get right back up and take care of everything. Ain't just that the like truth. Farrah. Ain't that the truth. Yes. <laughs> but I feel like Nessa takes after her dad, because even though she supposedly looks just like her mom, mm-hmm. I feel like the way she's acting is so immature. So it's like, even though her dad is sitting there doing nothing and feeling sorry for himself, Nessa's acting... She's also, I mean, I guess she eventually cut the wood. Right. But she's also not doing much. No, she feels totally sorry for herself, and she's just putting on this massive, so, like, the exact opposite behavior of her dad, but the same feelings. Yeah. So I hate both of them. (laughs) Right. I do. I have very strong hatred towards both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Elaine, I feel like, as the story goes on, I dislike her more, Mm. because in the beginning, you see, she does kind of seem airheaded. E, airheaded E, I don't know if that's a word. Um, and so you're like, oh, poor girl, like, she's nice to her dad, she's nice to everybody, she likes flowers, so you're mm-hmm. kind of just like, she's the sweet sister, they're all helping, Yeah, you can't be mad at Elaine, but I get mad at Elaine as the books go on. Well, I first assumed, apparently I skimmed over this, but I assumed she was the youngest when I first read this, and then I think I was having a conversation with you or someone else, and they were like, no, is the youngest, and I was like, What? Yeah, she acts. She, she acts like the baby. Yeah, youngest kid syndrome for sure. She totally does. And then Farrah's got the oldest kid syndrome. Right. And Nessa's. And you're like Nessa. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but also, I do think what Elaine brings to the table is like within that like depressing space. I feel like she's trying to bring like beauty and joy into it in her own way. She does, and she brings like that hope aspect. So I right. appreciate her for that. But yeah, Elaine is like meh. Yeah. Nessa and her dad are like, dear lord, terrible terrible yes i actually think so i get what you're saying about the dad but nesta like deeply deeply bothers me oh i hate her her because it's like i'm like what because it's it's one thing to just be like mopey but it's another one to be antagonistic yeah and i'm like you're just making things worse for everybody yeah like what are what do you think you're doing i mean she belittles Vera and calls her all these horrible right. things after well, she and it's probably because she feels like crap that she's not doing enough for her family of course but she could she could totally do more it's her choice to sit there and victim be cycle. exactly total victim and it makes me mad mm-hmm. so that's my thoughts on their yeah. relationships. Well, also, but, like, it was funny reading this because it's, like, it felt it felt like I was watching, like, a sitcom or something because it's, like, Nesta and her dad have beef. Nesta and Elaine are, like, mm-hmm. tight. Elaine and Feyre are, like, fairly tight. Her dad and Feyre are, like, meh. And, like, Nesta and Feyre are, like, beef. And it just, I don't know, it felt like I was, like, if I was in that room, I would be, like, bouncing from, like, person to person, <laughs> like, not knowing where to look because yeah. there's, like, so many dynamics there it's true. going on. I feel like we need to draw a diagram. Can we upload diagrams <laughs> to our podcast? That would be... So it's like... I bet you we can link a picture. Let's draw a picture. We'll link a photo <laughs> for everyone to observe our... Our thoughts on this dynamic with hilarious words like beef yes. on there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let me see what else. Also, though, and we can talk about this later, mm-hmm. but I love that Feyre's a painter. Yes. And I love that she, like, painted the home. 
And you know what I'm talking about. I literally... I know. I have a blue field sticker next to it. I have so many exclamation points next to it. So much foreshadowing. I don't know if I want to drop one. Well, let's just say um, the dresser, the painting dresser, is a really cool depiction of the sisters as time goes on. Yes. And we'll talk about that more in our spoiler mini after this. Because it is... So amazing. I love it it's so amazing. much. So much. Sarah J. Mass is amazing for even thinking of this. She is a genius. Pure genius. I love her like, so much. Like, honest to God, Sarah J. Mass is like, I, I think she's, is she my favorite author now? I don't know. I but she's, so. I think so. Can I tag her? Can I tag you, Sarah, in this? I mean, we can. I'll post it to Twitter <laughs> later. I'll post this to Twitter and Instagram and tag her and just be like, we. Love you. You're, You're our best. hero. Seriously, though, I think she's probably one of the best authors. She's The story is so intricate. Yeah. So, like, for those of you reading along, like, pay attention to everything. Even though you don't even know what to pay attention to. Yeah, you don't know yet, but, like, just pay attention to everything. And when you read the book, like, four times, you'll start to see these little things. Yeah, but... because this is, so this is my, actually, third time reading this book. Same. Um, <laughs> and... I mean, even reading it this third time, I think because we're actually paying attention and we're trying to analyze it, mm-hmm. I've noticed so much more. Yeah. So much more than when I just read for funsies. This yes. is... For funsies. For funsies. <laughs> this is... I mean, this is this is for funsies, but this right. is for work. Well, and you, dear listener, are probably reading for funsies, and we're doing the hard work for you. We're doing that okay. analyzing. That's why you're listening, so that you can read for funsies and then... Also get all the details. Analyze with us. Um, but yeah, I love I love the painting. I love the dresser, which she notes depicts each of the sisters. Why mm-hmm. she painted each um, each uh, drawer a different scene for the sisters. Which, on a side note, quick plug: there's a really great um, boutique on Instagram called the Common Room Shop. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I have not. She's incredible. Actually, it launched today, so I might need to pause for a sec Let's so I can pause. do this. But um, she just released today a night court like she she does bookish theme releases but they're like boutique yeah so like some are branded with the items and some are um like just like in like connection to it like have the essence of it mm-hmm. and she has one it's a, it looks like a band t-shirt that's released today called the Archeron sisters oh. and it has each of the three things that are on this dresser <gasps> and it's so what? cool i know we're so gonna pause we're gonna have to pause and go do that real fast Hello, dear listener. We are back. We just bought our shirts. Our shirts. Those incredible shirts I just described. They're like band t-shirts for the three sisters that has the painting described on this dresser on them. So would highly recommend checking out the common room shop. They are incredible. Um, but let's get back to this. So we talked about the dresser and how much we love it and the painting. And there's so much meaning behind it, which we will go so into much in a mini episode. So you can gush and talk about spoilers. Yes. But we will refrain for now. Yes. Okay, so what's next? Um, so relationship-wise, mm, I yes. do want to talk about her mom. Who is also a piece of garbage. Also a piece of garbage. So basically the one thing that I wanted to point out in relation to her mom, but not really about her mom, was that they talk about, you know, a promise was law, a promise was currency, a promise was your bond. And so 11-year-old Thera makes this 
promise to her mother, because that's what her mother asks her to do, about taking care of her family. And what 11-year-old is going to say no to their mother? Right. Obviously, because she's dying, and this is her last request. And also, like, how starved was she for her mother's love? Oh, totally starved. Because, I mean, her mom was super friends, or super cool with all these friends, but then she ignored Farah, didn't teach her manners, didn't teach her to read, didn't teach her anything like she did her other sisters. So... I feel like anything Fair could have done for her mom, she would have at that point. Well, and I think another, like, quick character picture of her mom is, I believe it was said in this section of chapters we're talking about today, but, like, if her mother had been alive when her father lost their fortune, I think she said something of, like, she would she would have died or something along those lines. Yeah, Just, something. like, the fact mm-hmm. that, like, her devastation would have been unreal. And so I think that's a very clear picture of how... Uh, materialistic yes her mother was mm-hmm. and not very thoughtful yes i totally agree um and so her mother just like everybody else in her family piece of garbage yeah i just like don't understand how if promises are so intense why you make your daughter promise that like you could ask her that but like why are you putting that burden on an 11 year old when she, you have a husband mm-hmm. and you have two daughters who are older it's just insane yeah and like you were you know, talking to me about, Farrah would probably have done it on her own. Yes. She wouldn't have needed the promise, but now that she has this promise, she feels super burdened and wants to get out of it, but knows she can, and she feels tied down to her family forever, basically. Right. And has to take care of That's why she said earlier that she wishes, wishes that her sisters would just get married and she could stay and just paint with her dad because yeah. she just doesn't want to have the burden of taking care of family anymore. Well, and her mom, just like, just like she was in life, dies... With a very selfish act. Yes. So very indicative of that character. Mm-hmm. I'm also always amazed how, and I guess it's that like nature versus nurture thing maybe, but how people can have such shitty parents <laughs> and families yes. and be decent people with like it's amazing. principles and morals. Like, I think that's incredible. I do too. I feel like it has to be nature at some point because if you're raised by the same people, but also, I mean, parents are not equal with their children like parents have favorites parents treat their kids a different way I mean just think of the fact that her mom you know taught them the two older sisters how to read and be proper ladies and Mm -hmm. Farrah didn't get that same treatment so it's not just nature I guess it's nurture too but why would her mom pick the two older sisters over her like what was so bad why make anyone promise yeah I don't know so it's rude but even still, Farah is now head of household. Um, yes. And we see that when Ness is talking about how she's in love with Tomas. And um, Farah basically says, you're not going to marry him. Just flat out. There's no, oh, well, maybe we can figure out a way. Or that's sweet that you love him. But just, no, you're not marrying him. Just final decision, head of household type stuff. As this, yeah. what is she, 18, 17-year-old? I think she's 17. 17-year-old girl telling her older sister what she's gonna do her dad doesn't even say anything it's just what Ferris says goes which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy and she's definitely like the words she's using sound very dad-like like we can't afford a dowry love won't feed a hungry belly and it's just like these are the kinds of things you hear you expect to hear from a dad yeah not from the youngest sister in a family <laughs> but then I also made the note here um how Nesta's response was like we're in love and Elaine's nodding and I just put ah sisters because it's very much as someone who has three, and you also have one sister, mm-hmm. that it's just like, that's exactly how sisters are. I know, they're like, just no, in this we're love. Land. 
Well, and the constant, like, the bickering aspect of it is very sister-like. Even though the power dynamics are kind of out of whack. Because usually it's, like, the older sister who has Mm -hmm. more power. Um, So even though that's out of whack, the interactions are still very sisterly. Very true. And then I know you wanted to point out. Yes, this quote. I loved this quote from her dad at the end of, like, we need hope as much as we need bread and meat. We need hope or else we cannot endure. So let her... Keep this hope, Pharaoh. Let her imagine a better life, a better world. And I thought, finally, he's being a dad. Yes. A, in, like, parenting his children and kind of trying to control that emotional space in the room. But also, like, it shows, like, by contrast, how, like, broken Pharaoh is and yes. how, like, burdened she is. Because her response is, like, there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. And I made the note. I said, ever the pragmatist. But, like... <laughs> But it's it's just, it's sad, and it's really cool not to spoil, but, like, to see how her character evolves out of this, like, despairing place yeah. into one that maybe has a little bit more hope. Yes, I totally agree. But it's it's at least nice to see her dad try to be somewhat... A dad. A dad. <laughs> and, like, not this mopey, depressed character. Like, he at least recognizes the hope that Elaine has, and he's trying to just let it be. And maybe, who knows, inspire, like, Farrah and Nesta. Yeah. Um, so, I appreciate that. That's, like, the one good thing her dad does in this whole chapter, basically. True. Very true. Um, um, okay, chapter three? Chapter three. Okay, so let me recap chapter three yes, in please. the second person, because why not? So, we, collectively, head into the village to sell those hides. We meet the children of the blessed and learn more on the fey human relations. We sell the hides to a generous mercenary who also warns of the Fae. We meet Isaac and learn of his and Thera's history. And a stranger interrupts dinner aggressively. Yes. It's chapter three. Chapter three. Um, very first page when she's talking about her sisters. Mm-hmm. And that she says, I knew why they'd come. They'd taken one look at the hides I'd folded into my satchel and grabbed their cloaks. I made the note of a parasitic relationship. I don't know why... <laughs> that section of biology has always stuck with me. But that idea of like a symbiotic relationship, Mm -hmm. a parasitic, I was like this parasitic. Totally Because they're just leeching everything off of her and doing nothing. It makes me so mad that they just like expect her to give them money when they've done nothing to help. Right. Like Nessa won't even chop wood without Farrah basically begging her. And then Elaine just sits at home and does nothing. Why do they deserve new cloaks, new shoes, ribbons, food, whatever? They don't. Bear mm-hmm. should buy herself new shoes since she's the one out hunting every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just shows that she's actually a good person because she still gives them money even though know. she knows they're just going to blow it and she knows they're not going to help. But it just shows that she actually loves them. Yeah, I was going to say the power dynamic's out of whack, but as like the oldest sister, um, my sisters pull like stupid crap like this all the time mm-hmm. where I'm just like, what in the world makes you think you deserve this? Or why... You, you say these things, you treat me this way, and then you expect me to still be a good older sister and take care of you. Um, but, you know, like, you do. Because they're your sisters, no matter what crap they're pulling. And so you still continue to try and put yourself out there. So it's interesting how we get this picture of, like, despair and hopelessness in Pharaoh, But then also, she's, there's, there, she doesn't realize there's some hope in her, but she's acting like there's still that little bit of little hope bit. in her. Yeah. In interacting with her sisters. Agreed. But. Um, and then and we meet the children of the blessed. We do, yes. The children of the blessed. And so they are, basically, this, they're not really relevant in most of the book. No. They 
come into play here and then maybe one or two other spots in the next like book or two but realistically they I felt like they were going to have a more important role this is I guess a somewhat spoiler but it's not really spoiling anything in the fact that they're not really mentioned that much in the so. future yeah but as a full-on TikTok, Tumblr, Sarah J. Mass conspiratist at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking of myself. Um, who's just on these and always reading people's theories. I can't help but wonder how might they come back into play one day. So as of today, the latest book that's come out is A Court of Silver Flames. Mm-hmm. And we have read through that. So up till now, they, they haven't actually like played a real part. But I forgot that they existed. Like yeah. that's how, like, I don't know. Just like, it's like they're a fly passing by. You're like, oh, wait, I forgot yeah. they were there. But we do kind of feel like they are somewhat similar to another group of women that we meet later on. Even though yeah. I know this is like, the children of the lost are like men and women. Yeah. We do meet a like group of women like it, later on in another book that are similarly cult-ish. Yeah, I think um, cult is the best way to describe this. Because yeah. they're clearly lunatics in their head of like right. oh you cross the wall and the fae will take you as their wife or whatever and you're yeah. like no <laughs> you're like i don't know if like the crazy i'm gonna eat people thing is true mm-hmm. but that's also definitely not true <laughs> definitely yeah so we've got you know the human cultish, and then we've got the fae cultish. yeah that we see in the priestesses yeah later on but they're interesting they are interesting and, and then nesta's interaction with them is fantastic and the way like fair she calls nesta a queen without a throne which, which is so good it's perfect and like the more you read we won't spoil it now but i'll talk about it in a spoiler it's very appropriate what she calls her yes um and just the way that she interacts in later books mm-hmm. and just once again i can't remember if we've said this yet but Sarah J. Mass is incredible. Yes. In how she describes everything. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like, Nesta being a queen without a throne is such a clear, it creates such a clear picture for me. She doesn't have to describe her any other way. And she's just such a fantastic writer. She is. I, I'm just going to keep saying that <laughs> when I see these things. And I'm like, how are you this good? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, big thing in this chapter is um, the mercenary. Yes, the mercenary. Who is a woman. Yes, which is huge. Badass. And shockingly surprising because I feel like when you think mercenary in any decade or century, anything, you never think a woman. Right. So, you get them as like hard and cold and weathered. Just crusty old men, basically. And yet, this one's kind. Kind and a woman. And Sarah J. Mass, as we were saying, we love her. She's amazing. Best writer. Um, she empowers women and she makes these amazing women characters that you would never like expect I feel like so the mercenary is one of them absolutely and I again going down my conspiratorial trail a little bit I'm wondering who helped the mercenary because when she helps Feyre she says like someone like was kind to me once and helped me out and so I'm passing it along like a classic pay it forward yes so uh, I'm to, like to quote she says someone once did the same for me and mine at a time when we needed it most figure it's time to repay what's due right I want to know who that was I'm so curious I'm curious if we'll find out eventually and maybe it doesn't matter who it was but I'm everything connects in this series so I feel like at some point that's also going to connect yes or it could just be that we're giving Farah just that tiny little bit of hope. 
like, because she was, you know, giving money to her sister, so we see that she does still have a little something, and so maybe by somebody being kind to her and giving her a little extra money, there's that, like, ignition of hope in her, mm-hmm. or igniting of hope in her. Um, or maybe it's just that since now that this favor's been repaid by the mercenary, maybe is going to repay this right um, kindness to somebody else, and so we're just waiting to see who gets that kindness. Well, and it's the classic thing of, like, breaking through hard shells. Mm-hmm. It's it's ironic, but it's, like, it's it's the small, soft, kind actions that break through those hard shells. Yeah. And so, whether the mercenary realized she was doing it or not, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. She was, like, cracking at yeah. Vera's, like, hard, weathered exterior to kind mm-hmm. of be like, you can be that, but also, there's some good yeah. in the world. Which is sweet from, especially a mercenary. I know. And then... In regards to the mercenary, I just want to mention that, so basically only the wealthy people could afford to have these mm. mercenaries, and they use them, you know, as guards, um, but is basically saying it's all an illusion of comfort, just as the markings over their threshold around their door were. Um, they all knew deep down there was nothing to be done against the fairies, so this is kind of like, we're still wondering, are these fairies going to eat people? Are they... Yeah. What, what kind of fairies are these? Are they going to come actually attack the humans? Or what is this kind of foreshadowing that the, all these people have mercenaries? Yeah. It's definitely interesting because, you know, us right now, we live in this, like, modern world, right? And we're not used to, like, fearing for our lives constantly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I'm, I'm also curious what that does to someone's psyche, of oh, just yeah. like you have to pretend that these things work otherwise you lose your mind mm-hmm. like because you would never sleep <laughs> if you didn't if you couldn't convince yourself that the markings on the door worked right absolutely especially like her dad who knows he can't actually protect his family right i'm sure to him this illusion is really what he feels makes his family safe and right. he was able to do that for them so to him it's probably empowering and you know a sign that they'll be safe right so but it's just, it's interesting to think of how that's at play in those relationships in mm-hmm. her household and the almost like desperation in which they live their lives. Yeah. Because we also meet Isaac, the guy that she's rolling, literally rolling in the hay with. <laughs> yes. And I feel like part of that is like out of desperation mm-hmm. because in theory, the fae could come and kill them at any moment. And so it's like, you know, you know, what there's some phrasing where it's like, like tomorrow we die but tonight we feast or something like that I feel like yeah. that's from like a Viking movie or something because <laughs> that sounds very Viking like but I think maybe that's the idea of like we don't know how much time we have left mm-hmm. and so let me search for what moments of like happiness I can find mm-hmm. and she finds that with Isaac yeah who's not a bad guy no I mean he offered to buy her what like an iron yeah. like bracelet or necklace or something so that was super sweet but the fact that she's like that was way too personal like you know she's clearly not interested in him it's just like a release right. for her and something to keep, get her away from her sisters away from her family to let her yeah. just be like a normal 17 year old instead of having to be the protector the mom the dad everything yeah so um so the chapter ends with an aggressive visitor and I put on a sticky I put well dot 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 hello there <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. Yes. So, and that leads us into chapter four. Yes. Which, what color did we have for chapter four? Or chap- well, mean? chapter three was neutral. This last okay. chapter was fairly neutral. But foreshadowing, this chapter had a yikes. A yikes. A yikes. 
colored sticky on it. So okay. let me recap. So in chapter four, Feyre discovers that the wolf she killed was in fact a fairy and that she now owes a life debt. The fairy that came to claim it offers her to live out her days on his land rather than die and she accepts. Um, I made a note about the family interaction. So I said, Elaine is a mess but terif or, and terrified. Nesta is cold but focused. And her father is sad but releases her from them, asking her to never return but go elsewhere and make a name for herself if she escapes. And Pharaoh leaves with the stranger. Because that's all we know. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. That is true. So, a short chapter, but very intense. It is. It is very intense. At least so far, this is the most intense we've gotten. Yes. So, we, we meet this beast. Right. This, like, wolf creature that appears, accusing them of being murderers. Right. And Elaine is just shook. She's like, what are you talking about? Basically, like, murderers? What have we done? Yeah. Um, and well, then go ahead. Nesta just goes and protects Elaine instantly. Mm -hmm. It's like she doesn't care one scrap about her dad. She just goes and... Or Feyre. Or Feyre, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. She just goes and, like, basically blocks Elaine from view, thinking that, you know, by doing that, she's protecting Elaine, and that if Elaine needed to get away, she would stand in her way. Yeah. Um, and it's nice, because, like, Feyre does recognize that as she's, like trying to figure out what the heck to do she sees nesta and they lock eyes and she knows in that moment that nesta would at least buy elaine 10 seconds however much time she could for elaine right. to get away because they both treasure elaine way more than anybody else yeah so. well also though on the first page it says that Farah somehow wound up in front of her sisters so even the head of nesta mm -hmm. is Farah. right and i'm just it's so interesting also, I think in this chapter we start to see how sacrificial she is. Yes. Because she's been dutiful this whole time. Mm -hmm. And you think of her as responsible, but it's like, oh no, she would literally just innately sacrifice herself right. for this family. And there are people that like she loves because she's family. Not yeah, even like they don't deserve it. No, they don't <laughs> deserve it. She probably doesn't really even like them. She probably likes Elaine, but not Nesta or really her dad. But yeah. She, you're right, she's self-sacrificing. Yeah. Literally, like, herself. And so brave. Yes. Because I think at another point, she said, like, better to die with my chin held high than groveling like a cowering worm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how about we just not, like, my brain would go, like, I'd rather not die. Yeah. Period. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's the majority of people, I would rather not die. I think, I, I would say that on a regular day. I would rather not die. But yeah, just, she's, she takes it so... Almost like nonchalantly, she's like, "Well, I'm gonna die, but I'm not gonna die scared. I'm gonna die, you know, chin held high." And yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting. So, like, as she's saying that, like, she's talking to this like wolf creature thing, um, and she knows that fairies can't lie, or that's their understanding. Yeah. So she's trying to be this smart seventeen-year-old against a however many-year-old fairy by like manipulating the conversation mm -hmm. to like make it so that she's not lying, but she's like guiding it in another direction i just thought that was funny that uh, that's so typical teenager thinking yeah. they can outsmart this like adult even right. though they really can't like we all see through that come on now like i appreciate her effort and i'm sure she thought she was doing a good job but the fairy instantly was just like no yeah he's like, like i'm not having that you're what who do you think i am right it's like i've lived for however many years we don't right. know at this point but like we assume he's older than her right 
But also, okay, wait, let's keep talking about the fairy because yeah. he comes in like a wolf beast. Right. It's like, is this what all fae look like? Right. Is it, so, yeah. I would Are be, they wolf beasts? I would definitely think that they could, that could eat me and they would eat me. Exactly. If, if he's looking like that and that's a typical fairy, yes, I understand why you're scared. And right. All the fear that we've like read in the first four chapters. It makes sense. Yeah. And he has a temper. Yes. Because granted, she is trying to manipulate him like you were just saying. Right. But he, I you know. One of his kind was just murdered, so it makes sense why he would be angry. Yes. But quite, quite the temper. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I was highlighting in here for me, like, words to describe how he responded. And you have, like, bellowed, snarled, growled. Oh, like, yeah. he's not, this is not a conversation. They're all aggressive <laughs> terms, too. Yes. Um, well, okay, so, like, there's two things. Okay. This is not an OMG moment. This is just interesting um the fact that she um she wanted to be killed outside mm. when she before she realized that she had a choice in whether like she had to go right with the fairy forever or if she could if she had to die there the fact that she's just like so willing to do it she's just like but let it be outside like don't mm-hmm. make my family do this i just thought that was like so sweet um she's she's too good she's too good for her family too good. good for them. So I love that. That just like that little subtlety. Um, but then, um, where is it? So the fairy says, "For having the nerve to request where I slaughter you, I'll let you in on a secret, human. Prithian must claim your life in some way for the life you took from it. So as a representative of the immortal realm, I can either gut you like a swine, or you can cross the wall and live out the remainder of your days in Prithian." Mm-hmm. I was like, "What?" So yes. that was my oh gee, this is happening. She has a choice. She's not gonna yes. die. Like this is big because it's like I figured when because it's like the paragraph before he's she's just like well can we do it outside? Mm-hmm. You're like this can't be the main character. She's about to die. Like clearly like one of the sisters is about to become the main character or like somebody's gonna right. swoop in and save her. Like those are my thoughts as I'm reading this and then he like gives her the choice and you're like oh like big things are happening like something good is going to come of this like so I just thought that was super exciting yes and I'm it's one of those things too where it's like when you were reconciling with your own death and then all of a sudden you have this choice you're like what right and even just but I love that he says like um what is it for having the nerve to request where I slaughter you it's like you're like I don't know i just thought that was so cool that i mean i'm sure in his head he already knew he was going to give her the choice right but i like that that was the reason why so it's just mm-hmm. like making somebody feel a little more empowered yes like he's just kind of rewarding her for being a good person and for mm-hmm. not wanting her family to see that sacrifice yes so you're like what kind of person is this fairy or beast thing right like does he really have the worst intentions if he you know he like thought this through right and so. it's, it's the fact that he's noticing these things about her already right he's it's like if you just were going to come in there and kill someone you would have just gotten in there and killed them right so you wouldn't like, chat with them he wouldn't have offered her this choice <laughs> like he would right. have just killed her so i just like that he used that decision as the reason why he gave her the choice right because it's like we think he's gonna he was gonna go in there and give her the option no matter what right but he chose to acknowledge that as right. like wow Mm-hmm. That was that was deserving of a good thing. Now here's a good thing. Yeah. And so, okay, so she decides she's going to, you know, live, which right. I feel like most of us would make that decision as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> like I said, not die. Not die. <laughs> yes, anything to not die. 
So I really, I thought it was so interesting that like, even though nobody's trying to help Farah, mm-hmm. um, she makes it a point that her parting message to Nesta is that basically don't marry Tomas because bruises are harder to conceal than poverty. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, like you seriously do love your sister, even though she's a yeah. total jerk to you. Like, and you're leaving the Stanley behind for your own life and yes. who knows what. Like, you still care enough about her that you want to protect her for the rest of her life. Like, you're helping her get not get into a domestic violence-type marriage. Yeah. And I just thought that was amazing. That Those are her, like, last words to her. Instead of, like, I love you or, like, bye, take care of Elaine, nothing. It's like, she knows Nesta's yeah. going to take care of Elaine. She knows Nesta will somehow become the provider for the family. Mm-hmm. Doesn't worry about her dad. Like, doesn't worry about Elaine. Yeah. She's solely focused on Nesta, who's, like, going to become the new Farah for the family. And, right. like, that's her words of advice. Like, I just, Ugh. I thought that was, like, really sweet. Yeah. It's just this whole, the goodbyes at the end are just so interesting. Because they're very, yeah. they're different for every person. Right. With Nesta, she gives that advice. Mm-hmm. Elaine, she doesn't even speak to her. No. Because Elaine's just, like, carrying. She's just, like... Right. But it's, like, really, what would she have to say to her? She didn't leave on bad terms yeah. with Elaine. Like, she was just, like, that sweet sister that was just kind of there. Yeah. So... And then her dad... Oh, this, like, killed me. Like, the fact that he tells her never come back. Like, even if she escapes, like, don't ever come back. Like, you can clearly see that he had that hope for her. Like, just like he had it for Elaine, like, he had hope for Pharaoh, which, like, makes me like him a little more in this chapter, like, because yeah. he did try to, like, stand up and, like, try to put off the fairy so that it wasn't just Pharaoh up there facing him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and she but, says, I hadn't expected a heart-wrenching goodbye, but I hadn't imagined this either. Yeah. Like, she was surprised by it, too. Yeah. And it just, I'm also, part of me is, like, could you also slip in, like, an I love you? Or, like, a thank you there. It's something. Come Just on, something. dad, sisters, something. But at least we learned that, like, he knew she was too good for them, and right. she deserves something more. So, like, that makes me happy that he at least recognizes, like, she she was the best thing that could have ever happened to them. And, like, right. if she does have an opportunity to free herself from them, she should. But also, like, she was their provider, and I think part of that, like, it's one of those things where I think people do that so that they can feel wanted. Yeah. And I feel like even with these goodbyes, they're kind in their own way, Mm -hmm. but they're not giving her that thing of feeling wanted. Like, even in this departure, in this sacrifice, Mm -hmm. she does does not feel wanted by this family at all. all. It's like, look at what I gave you, Mm -hmm. look at all I did for you, and you still don't seem to care that I'm leaving. (laughs) You know? You'd rather me not be here than come back. Mm-hmm. That's heartbreaking. It really, yeah. When you say it like that, it makes me like question. Well, did I read this right? Was was this like? Well, I think she had intention? good intention. Yeah. But I'm imagining from her perspective, like it would just be heartbreaking to hear yeah. that for nobody to say I love you, for your dad to tell you don't come back, like yes, all these things. Yeah, that would be it's so sad. It is sad. Now that I think of it, like from her perspective, it's so sad because I was thinking from the dad's perspective, like. I'm like, oh, finally, like, he recognizes, like, how amazing his own daughter is and, like, what she's done for them that he wants more for her. Yeah. But for her, she's probably like, this guy doesn't even want me after everything I did. Right. Ugh. Just, like, classic bad communication. Really? For (laughs) real? And then she goes with the beast. And she goes with the beast. And this, this is the part in the book where, you know, you mentioned earlier how you were feeling Hunger Games. Yes. By this point, I was like, is this just going to be Beauty and the Beast? Like, is that what's going to happen here? She's going to go live with the Beast. That's true. I didn't think of that. Um, now, it's not. We know it's not. We know it's not. But, yeah, no, you're totally right. It, he's Like, she's going to live with the Beast. Like, 
is this guy like just stuck in this like scary beast form or is it even a guy like we know it's a beast but do we know it's truly like a male yes in this form like we know nothing we just know that there is a monster that she was forced to leave her family and has to spend the rest of her life and typically whenever you read any kind of young adult yes fantasy book generally there's a romance involved so i'll be honest i am in it for the romance oh for sure (laughs) and this being the main character because she didn't die we know she's clearly important yes so we're suspect we're a suspect to a romantic love interest exactly coming out of this potential classic enemies to lovers yes so that's chapters one through four nice that's so exciting so that's kind of the introduction to who Feyre is and how this story is gonna jump off so next week we're gonna chat about chapters five through eight if you're reading along and we will dive into the introduction to the fairy world basically yeah so yeah Thank you for listening to A Court of Thorn and Roses, the setup episode. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to keep breaking down these books. We hope you enjoy our gushing and analysis of this book and this series. And then just a reminder, there is going to be a mini-sode coming that is full of spoilers if you also want to continue in the gushing aspect of this book series. But until next time thanks again for listening i'm sarah and i'm alex and have a fun time reading this series with us goodbye Bye. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to a court of fairies and fangirls the sarah j mass fan podcast please rate review and subscribe And let us know what you think. Jump in on the conversation. We look forward to chatting with you more next week. Bye-bye.